the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. Do you still sin against God? Do you care? Have you made your peace with God based on what your experience is and what you believe, but is that based on the reality of Scripture? Have you made a false peace with God that allows you to continue walking in sin while claiming him as your Savior? Are you happy with what you believe? Are you willing to change what you believe if you see biblical evidence that says what you believe is wrong? Or do you base what you believe on your experience, allowing yourself room to live any way you choose while calling yourself a Christian? I want to share today a story with you based on a number of you having conversations with me in the last week. I want to share this story. I've shared it a number of times before. But I need to share it with you again. It's not a difficult story. But it gets right to the point of what is your experience with Jesus? And do you have the peace of God in your heart? Or do you have a false peace in your heart? that allows you to live like the devil and claim that you're a Christian. This is the story of a man who is determined to make his peace with God. And indeed, he does make peace with God. And it results in a quarter of a million people before the age of technology, being brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, if you say to me, I have peace with God, but you do not have the fruit, if you do not have men and women you have brought to Jesus, if you have no testimony of his power, then I will say to you, you have a false peace. And if you have a false peace, you have not made your peace with God. And you have deceived yourself. There is a place for every one of us in the kingdom of heaven. There is a place for us But if we're going to enter that place, the games have to stop. And we have to become men and women of deep, deep prayer. The only way into the kingdom of God is through prayer and faith in the blood of Jesus Christ 
in his death and in his resurrection. Romans, the sixth chapter. So, if you think you've heard this story before, listen to it again. Hear those hidden things the Spirit of God wants to say to you. Let your heart be confronted by the Spirit of God and make your peace with God today. It was a Sunday night in the autumn of 1821. Charles Finney, an attorney, had made up his mind that he would settle the question of his soul's salvation, that he would make his peace with God. Now, Charles Finney was very proud without knowing it. He had supposed that he didn't care much what other people thought of him, or he didn't care much about the opinions that other people had of him. He had been quite obvious in attending prayer meetings. He had led the church at times to think that, in fact, he was concerned about his soul salvation. But in fact, he was quite skeptical. But finally, the Holy Spirit brought him to a place where he had to face the question. And he was quite unwilling to have anyone discover that he was facing that difficult question. And he did not want anyone to discover that he was deeply engaged in prayer. Before that time, he writes, my Bible lay on the table with the rest of my law books, and it had never occurred to me to be ashamed of being found reading it any more than I should be ashamed of being found reading any of my law books. But after I had begun to address myself in earnest to the subject of my own salvation, I kept my Bible out of sight as much as I could. He did not want to let anyone know how he felt. He did not want anyone to know the questions he was finally willing to look at. He had no confidence that anyone else could understand his struggle. He had no confidence in the pastor of the church he was attending. So he found himself left only with the Bible. Monday and Tuesday, he said, my convictions increased, but still it seemed as if my heart grew harder. I could not shed a tear. I could not pray. I had no opportunity to pray above a whisper, and frequently I felt that I would find relief in prayer. If I could be alone where I could use my voice and express myself, I was shy and avoided speaking to anybody on the subject as much as I could. I didn't want to arouse any suspicion in the hearts of people that I might be questioning whether I was saved. 
Tuesday night I became very anxious, and in the night a strange feeling came over me as if I were about to die. I knew that if I did die I would sink down to hell, but I quieted myself as best I could until morning. Let's take a moment. I want to ask you the question. Have you ever experienced this? Do you know that if you died, you would sink down into hell? Or have you made an honest peace with God, and you know that the peace of God is in your heart? Or do you have a false peace, believing the lie that you can continue as a worldly person, pursuing the things of the world, pursuing your entertainments, and that you're saved in the midst of your wickedness. That's a false peace. He writes, At an early hour on Wednesday, I started for the office, but just before I arrived at the office, something seemed to confront me, as if an inward voice said to me, What are you waiting for? Did you not promise to give your heart to God? What are you trying to do? Are you endeavoring to work out a righteousness of your own? At this point, the whole question of gospel salvation was opened to me in a marvelous manner. I think I then saw as clearly as I ever have in my life the reality and fullness of the atonement of Jesus. I saw that his work is a finished work, and that indeed, instead of needing any righteousness of my own to recommend me to God, I had to submit myself to the righteousness of God through Jesus. Gospel salvation seemed to be an offer to be accepted, something that was full and complete, and all that was necessary on my part was to agree to give up my sins and accept Christ. Instead of being a thing to be brought about by my own works, salvation was something to be found entirely in the Lord Jesus Christ. Without being distinctly aware of it, I had stopped in the street right where the inward voice had first come upon me. How long I remained in that position, I cannot say, but after I contemplated this distinct revelation for a while, the inner voice seemed to ask, will you accept it now, today? I replied, yes, I will accept it today or I will die in the attempt. I want to ask you that same question. Will you make your peace with God and stop all the falseness? Will you turn aside from all of the lies you've been told about the gospel and recognize that you simply have to walk away from your sin and walk into Jesus and his salvation will be complete and you will be a new, new person? But the way you enter that is by prayer. There is no way to make your peace with God without this kind of deep, serious 
prayer. North of the village, he writes, over a hill lay a stretch of woods in which I'd walked almost daily when the weather was pleasant. It was now the 10th of October, and the time was passed for frequent walks in, in the woods. Nevertheless, instead of going to the office, I turned and bent my course toward the woods, feeling that I must be alone and away from all human eyes and ears so that I could pour out my prayer to God. But still my pride showed itself. As I went over the hill, it occurred to me that someone might see me and suppose that I was going away to pray. Yet there was probably not a person on earth who would have suspected such a thing had he seen me going. But so great was my pride, and so much was I possessed with the fear of man, that I sulked along the fence until I got so far out of sight that no one from the village could possibly see me. I then made my way into the woods nearly a quarter of a mile, went over on the edge of the side of the hill, and found a place where some large trees had fallen across each other, leaving an open place between. There I saw I could make kind of a closet chapel. I crept into this place, and I knelt down for prayer. As I turned to go into the woods, I remember having said, I will give my heart to God or I will never come down from here. I recall repeating this as I went up, I will give my heart to God before I ever come down again. But when I attempted to pray, I found that my heart would not pray. I had supposed that if I could only be where I could speak aloud without being overheard, I would pray freely. But then I tried to pray. I was mute. I had nothing to say to God. Or at least I could only say a few words and those without any heart. In attempting to pray, I would hear a rustling in the leaves and would stop and I'd look up to see if somebody was coming. I did this several times. Finally, I found myself sinking fast to despair. I said to myself, I cannot pray. My heart is dead to God, and it will not pray. I then reproached myself for having promised to give my heart to God before I left the woods. When I tried, I found I could not give my heart to God. My soul hung back. My heart was in no way going out to God. I began to feel deeply that it was too late for me that I was past hope, and that God must have surely given up on me. Let me stop a moment. There are some of you today who feel that God has probably given up on you. And some of you have also given up on God. Your pride is so great you are centered in yourself. And you think, well, if I can't get to God, it's all right, I'll live my life and I'll go to hell. No. God has not given up on you. He will forgive any sin you have committed if you will confess it to him 
and turn from it and determine in your heart that you will serve Jesus. Our God is a God of great compassion and love. He loves you. I read this morning with my wife in our time of worship. Cast all of your care upon the Lord. First Peter, the fourth chapter. Cast all of your love upon the Lord. The fifth chapter. He loves you. He cares for you. Back to Finney's description. I began to think my promise rash that I would give my heart to God that day or die in the attempt. It seemed to me as if that there was a binding upon my soul and yet I was going to break my vow. A great discouragement came over me. I felt almost too weak to get up from my knees. Just at that moment, I again thought I heard someone approach me. I opened my eyes to see whether it was so. But just then it was distinctly shown to me that my pride was the great difficulty that stood in the way. An overwhelming sense of my wickedness in being ashamed to have a human being see me on my knees before God took such powerful possession of me that I cried at the top of my voice and exclaimed that I would not leave this place if all the men on earth and all the devils in hell surrounded me. What, I said, such a degraded sinner as I am on my knees confessing my sins to the great and holy God? How can I be ashamed to have any human being, a sinner like myself, find me on my knees endeavoring to make my peace with my offended God? Sin appeared awful infinite it broke me down before the lord at this point the passage of scripture seemed to drop into my mind then you will pray to me and i will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart jeremiah 29 12 and 13. Somehow I knew that this was a passage of Scripture, though I do not think I'd ever read it. I knew that it was God's Word and God's voice that spoke to me. I instantly seized hold of this with my heart. I had intellectually believed the Bible before, but never had I known that faith was a voluntary trust instead of an intellectual decision. I was conscious of trusting at that moment. In God. I cried to him, Lord, I take you at your word. You know that I am searching for you with all my heart and that I've come here to pray to you and you have promised to hear me. This seemed to confirm that I could indeed fulfill my vow that very day. The Spirit seemed to emphasize this idea in the words when you search for me with all of your heart. Verse 13. I told the Lord that I would take him at his word, that I knew he could not lie, and that I was therefore sure that he heard my prayer and that I would find him. He then 
gave me many other promises from both the Old and the New Testament, especially some regarding our Lord Jesus. I never can, in words, make any human being understand how precious and true those promises appeared to me. I took them one after another as infallible truth, the assurance and the assertions of God who cannot lie. They did not seem to fall into my intellect so much as into my heart, to be put within the grasp of the voluntary power of my mind. I took hold of them and fastened upon them with the grasp of a drowning man. I continued to pray in this way and to receive and take hold of promises for a long time. I don't know how long. I don't know how long I prayed. But I prayed until my mind became so full that before I was aware of it, I was on my feet and I was tripping as I as I made my way up the hill toward the road. I didn't really think about whether I had been converted, but as I went up brushing through the leaves and bushes, I recollect saying with great emphasis, if I am ever converted, I will preach the gospel. Now, I want to stop a moment. I want you to hear what Charles Finney has done. He has taken the promises of God. And Second Peter, the first chapter, tells us that we participate in the divine nature by the promises of God, grasping them not intellectually. Yes, we know they're true, but grasping them with our heart and saying, this is for my heart, this is for me personally. These are God's promises to me. Now you know what will stand in your way of doing this. All the lust of your heart for the busyness of this world, for the entertainment of this world, for your own being in charge of your own life. When I was a kid, just a boy on the farm, our neighbor every fall would butcher. He would always butcher, along with other animals, his pigs. The pigs were the hardest to die. They squealed. They made such a commotion and such a mess. The pig nature of the human heart squeals and wiggles and fights. It does not want to die. But according to Romans 6, die it must. The pig nature doesn't want to die. But if we're going to take God at his word and we're going to search for him with all of our heart, we must let the promises of God, the power of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus, put to death our pig nature. I was asked by a dear brother, Pastor, do you still sin against God? And with joy, I could say to him, 
No, I do not. I walk instead in the peace of God. I walk instead in the joy of the Spirit. Do I ever get stressed? Yes. And that's when I give it over to Jesus. For I can't carry it. I really struggled with, Lord, what do I do today for the radio broadcast? I had a whole broadcast prepared. The Holy Spirit kept saying, no, no, no. I finally came up to minutes before the broadcast. I said, Lord, you're saying no to the message I've prepared. What do I do? Do I just play music today? And that's when very quietly the Holy Spirit said, you share the conversion story of Charles Finney. I said, oh, but I've shared that before. Share the story again. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. He knows where your heart is today. And you may be very religious today, and you may have wonderful understanding theologically. But are you still walking in sin? Is your heart still rebellious against the Lord? Is the pig nature of your heart still alive? And a brother said to me, No, I have to believe that that the imputed grace of Jesus covers me because this old nature is still alive in me. And I still give way to it. So I know I'm going to burn in hell if if what you're teaching is right, Pastor. Well, it is right. It's what the scriptures teach. It's what John Wesley taught. It's what the, the founding of the Pentecostal movement at Azusa Street believed. Now, some churches have turned against this. They've gone another way. But it's what I find in First John, the third chapter. It's what I find in Romans. It's what I find in the scripture. That we're to be new creatures in Christ Jesus. We're not to walk in the ways of the world and the flesh and the devil. We're not to love the world. We're to be separate. We're to come out from among them. We don't walk in that wickedness anymore. Now, he writes, I remembered what I'd said to God while I was on my knees, that I would take him at his word. And so I recalled many things I'd said, and I concluded that it was no wonder the Spirit of God had left me. I imagined that for such a sinner as I to take hold of God's word in this way was presumption, if not blasphemy. I concluded that in my excitement I had grieved the Holy Spirit and perhaps committed the unpardonable sin. You see, he he found that his mind had become wonderfully quiet and peaceful. He couldn't understand. He no longer had a burden of 
of sin or guilt in his heart. He was washed. He was clean. It seemed strange to him. Some of you have walked with a guilty conscience for so long, it's the normal way of life. But it's not the normal way for Jesus. He writes, I walk quietly toward the village, and so perfectly quiet was my mind that it seemed as if all nature listened. I'd gone into the woods immediately after an early breakfast, and when I returned to the village, I found that it was lunchtime. Yet I'd been wholly unaware of the time that had passed. It appeared to me that I had been gone from the village only a very short time. But how was I to account for the quiet of my mind? I tried to recall my convictions and to get back under again that load of sin under which I'd been laboring. But all sense of sin, all consciousness of present sin or guilt had departed from me. I said to myself, what is this that I can't arouse any sense of guilt in my mind as great a sinner as I am? I tried in vain to make myself anxious about my personal state. I was so quiet and peaceful that I tried to feel concerned about it, lest it should be a result of my having grieved the spirit away. But no matter what view I took of it, I could not be anxious at all about my soul and my spiritual state. The repose of my mind was unspeakably great. I never can describe it in words. The thought of God was sweet, to my mind and the most profound spiritual tranquility had taken full possession of me this was such a great mystery I went to lunch found I had no appetite to eat so I went to the office and found that my partner had gone to lunch so I took down my bass viola as I was accustomed to do, I began to play and sing some pieces of sacred music. But as soon as I began to sing those sacred words, I began to weep. It seemed as if my heart were all liquid and my feelings were in such a state that I could not hear my own voice in singing without causing tears to flow. I wondered at this and tried to hold back my tears but could not. After trying in vain to suppress my tears, I put away my instrument and stopped singing. Just before evening, I decided that as soon as I was left alone in our new office, I would try to pray again, that I was not going to abandon the subject of religion and give it up at any rate. Therefore, although I no longer had any concern about my soul, I said I was... I will still continue to pray. I made a good fire in the fireplace. Huh. He writes, all my feelings seemed to rise and flow out, and the utterance of my heart was, I want to pour my whole soul out to God. The rising of my soul was so great that I rushed into the room behind the front office to pray. There was no fire and no light in that room. Nevertheless, it appeared perfectly lit to me. 
As I went in and shut the door after me, it seemed as if I met the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. He said nothing, but looked at me in such a manner as to break me down at his feet. I fell down at his feet and poured out my soul to him. I wept aloud like a child and made such confessions as I could with my choked utterances. It seemed to me that I bathed his feet with my tears. I continued in this state for a good while, but my mind was too much absorbed with the interview to recall anything that I said, yet I knew that as soon as my mind became calm enough to break off the interview, I returned to the front office and found that the fire had burned out. As I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit. Without any expectation of it, without ever having thought that there was any such thing for me, without any recollection that I'd ever heard the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through my body and soul. I could feel the impressions like a wave of electricity going through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves of liquid love. I cannot express it any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recall distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was poured out, Romans 5, 5, in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love and literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. Remember, stop a moment. Remember, this is an attorney. This is not some sentimental child. This is a man. But he's in the presence of his God. If you want this experience, there's only one way you're going to have it. You're going to have to make your peace with God. And you're going to have to pray. Not a cheap little prayer you're going to have to become absolutely honest with God. And you're going to have to pray. I find most people pray childish prayers. Bless me, give me. No, we need to learn how to pray and give our whole soul, our whole mind, our whole body into the presence of Jesus. We need to learn how to repent, how to stop believing what we believe because that's our experience. Experience does not tell us what to believe. The scriptures tell us what to believe. The promises of God tell us what to believe, not our experience. He writes, these waves came over me and over me and over me until I cried out, I will die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear it anymore. And yet I had no fear of death. How long I continued in this state with this baptism continuing to roll over me and go through me, I don't know. But I know it was late in the evening when a member of my choir 
for I was the leader of the choir, came into the office to see me. He found me in the state of loud weeping and said to me, Mr. Finney, what's wrong with you? I could not answer him for some time, and then he said, Are you in pain? I gathered myself up as best I could and replied, No, but so happy I cannot live. He quickly turned and left the office. In a few minutes, he returned with one of the elders of the church, whose shop was just across the way from our office. This elder was a very serious man. I'd scarcely ever seen him laugh. In my presence, he'd been very watchful. When he came in, I was still in a state of loud weeping. He asked me how I felt, and I began to tell him. Instead of saying anything, he fell into this wonderful laughter. It seemed as if it was impossible for him to keep from laughing from the very bottom of his heart. Well, this is the story of Charles Finney. As he was talking with this elder, He was giving an account of his feelings. A young man came into the office. I was sitting with my back toward the door and barely noticed that he came in. He listened with astonishment to what I was saying. And the first I knew, he partially fell upon the floor and cried out in the greatest agony of mind, Pray for me! The elder of the church and other member knelt down and began to pray for him, and when they had prayed, I prayed for him myself. And soon after this, they all left me alone. And I wondered, why did the elder laugh so much? Did he think I was deluded or crazy? This thought brought a kind of darkness over my mind, and I began to ask myself whether it was proper for me, such a sinner as I had been, to pray for that young man. A cloud seemed to come over me. I felt I could not rest in anything. After a little while, I retired to bed, not distressed in mind, but still at a loss as to what to make of this present condition. Notwithstanding the baptism I had received, my view was so obscured that I went to bed without feeling sure that my peace was made with God. I soon fell asleep, but almost as soon as I fell asleep, I awoke again on account of the great flow of the love of God that was in my heart. I was so filled with love that I could not sleep. I fell asleep again and awoke in the same manner. When I awoke, this temptation toward unbelief returned upon me, and the love that seemed to be in my heart abated. But as soon as I was asleep, it was so warm within me, I would immediately awaken. Thus I continued till late at night when I finally could rest. When I awoke in the morning, the sun had risen and was pouring a clear light into my room. Words cannot express the impression that this sunlight made upon me. Instantly, the baptism that I had received the night before returned upon me in the same manner. I rose to my knees in the bed and wept aloud with joy. "'remaining for some time too much overwhelmed "'with the baptism of the Holy Spirit "'to do anything but pour out my soul to God. "'It seemed as if this morning of baptism "'was accompanied by a gentle reproof, "'and the Spirit seemed to say to me, "'Will you doubt? "'Will you doubt?' "'I cried, No, I will not doubt. "'I cannot doubt.' 
he then cleared the subject up so much that it was in fact impossible for me to doubt that the spirit of God had taken full possession of my soul. Oh, my brother, my sister. This is the baptism we need. And we have been so hardened by what we've been taught and by the experience that we've had and by a false peace that we've made with God while walking in sin and yet having some sentimental understanding that God is my friend and I'm okay and I'm on my way to heaven even yet while walking as a member of the world as a part of the world not given entirely to Jesus but having given myself to my sin. Finney continues. In this story of conversion to Christ, he writes, In this state, I was taught that justification by faith is a present experience. See, justification is not a legal forgiveness of past sins. It's a total regeneration. It's a total making you into a new creature. He writes, I could see that from the moment I believed while up in the woods, all sense of condemnation had entirely dropped out of my mind and I could not feel a sense of guilt or condemnation by any effort that I could make. My sins were gone and my sense of guilt was gone as if I had never sinned. See, this is not just as if I'd never sinned, but I'm still a sinner. No, it's being made clean. It's being washed. This was the revelation that I needed. As far as I could see, I was in a state in which I did not sin. Instead of feeling that I was sinning all the time, my heart was so full of love that it overflowed. My cup ran over with blessings and with love. I could not feel that I was sinning against God, nor could I recover the least sense of guilt for my past sins. Do you understand this? This is available for you. This is what the blood of Jesus Christ does for us. In today's church, we have trampled on the blood of Jesus. We've made it of non-effect. We've said it cannot take away our sin. It is said, the modern church has said, we will always be sinners. I remember... Years ago, hearing the Bible answer man say, every man sins constantly. No, we don't. Sin is a voluntary rebellion against God. 
Don't make sin something that it's not. By the blood of Jesus, we are cleansed and made clean. We're made whole. At this point, he went around and spoke to everybody in the village. Maybe I had to read a little bit more in the last minutes. He says, I soon set out from the office to converse with all the people I could find about their souls. I had the impression, which has never left my mind, that God wanted me to preach the gospel and that I must begin immediately. I somehow seemed to know it was with a certainty that was past all possibility of doubt. When I was first converted, the thought that I, that it occurred to me was that if I was ever converted, I would have to leave my profession, of which I was very fond, and begin preaching the gospel. <laughs> and so he went forth to converse with anyone he might find. And it's interesting, after doing that, all the people in the whole village seemed to rush to the to the church. And he went there himself. The minister was there along with nearly all the principal people in the village. But no one seemed ready to open the meeting. But the house was packed to its utmost capacity. I did not wait for anybody but arose and began saying that I then knew that that my religion was from God. I went on and told such parts of my experience that seemed important for me to tell. And he began to pray with the people. He began to pray with the people. I hope this story has been helpful to you. I know it's time to make our peace with God. It's time to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've been shocked that so many of you have not responded. You are consumers, you take it in, but have not yet been changed still clinging to what you have believed for years, not entering into the deep place of the prayer closet and not being transformed by the Holy Spirit. My greatest desire is that you be changed by the Holy Spirit, that you break free of the wickedness of this world, that you come to know Jesus the way I'm sharing with you today. I'm eager for you to know that there is a place we're being called to move to by the Spirit. For God is ready to move in this culture and in this day. Lord, I lift up every person listening and I ask that if any have not made their peace with God, they would quickly do so that they would become honest and vulnerable with you 
and lay out before you their true heart's condition and that they would say, yes, Jesus, I will submit to you. I will belong to you. Lord, I pray your blessing upon them. In the name of Jesus. I'd like to hear from you. You're welcome to write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. One word, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online to support this ministry and keep us on the air. We also need to go national. I'm waiting on Jesus to move to make that possible. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Hi, my name is three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon intelligence agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the Intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.